And let me just go ahead and say that uh, one of my final applications uh, came from a guy named uh, Ian Duguid. I didn't want to slow down in the middle of the sermon and try and give him credit, uh, where I, but I did want to give him credit, and so just wanted to give him credit now, and now let's jump into the passage. Let's pray. Father, I ask for your blessing to be upon the reading and proclamation of your word. Help us through um, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. Help us look beyond Israel to the true Israel, even the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Before we get into Genesis 32, I wanted to direct your attention to Psalm 18, verses 25 through 30. You don't need to necessarily turn there. But uh, Psalm 18 gives us a framework uh, by which to understand our passage this morning. So listen as I read these uh, few verses from Psalm 18. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. For you save a humble people, but the haughty, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. We've been looking at Jacob over these past few weeks, and we have seen that he is anything but blameless. In fact, Jacob was far more crooked than he was pure. And so what does it say in Psalm 18 about how God deals with the crooked? With the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. I believe that God so loved Jacob that God made Himself seem torturous to Jacob. I believe that God acted as an adversary to Jacob in order to break Jacob's stubborn pride. And if we will not humble ourselves, then God, because He is loving, will humble us. When Jacob was humbled, only then did he entrust himself fully to God and to God's promises. And then Psalm 18 says that when you trust in God, then you can run against the troop. And that's what Jacob ended up doing. He put himself in the way of Esau and Esau's 400 armed men that had come to meet him. Now what is most important uh, for us to see this morning is that God, after He broke Jacob, He transformed him. Transformed him so completely that it was appropriate that God changed His name from being Jacob to now calling Him Israel. So let's see what God did in order that we can understand how God changed Jacob 
and then understand better how God changes us. Before I read the passage, let me give you some of the background as to what's going on here. Jacob was on his way back to the land of Canaan. He had been in the land of Mesopotamia for 20 years. He had been living with his uncle, who had become his father-in-law, two times over. Uh, And he's headed back now to the land that God had promised him would be his everlasting possession. He's heading back to his parents. He's heading back to the land of Canaan, back to the land where his brother, who had yearned to kill Jacob, was still living. God was the one who told Jacob to return to the camp, to the land of Canaan. And so for, for Jacob to begin heading back from Mesopotamia into the land of Canaan, well, this was a step of faith. Uh, for Jacob because he knew that he was going back to where his where he would have to face his brother Esau. But even though he's going back, it doesn't mean that he is without fear. In fact, he has great fear. Look at verses 6 through 8. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. And there are four hundred men with him. And Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And so as Jacob is heading back toward the land of Canaan, He's he's full of fear. But God gave him an encouragement. Look at verses 1 and 2. Jacob went on his way, and this as he's going on his way, he is in obedience to God. And the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is the camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. God sent these angels to meet Jacob as he was, um, first of all, leaving Canaan to come to Mesopotamia. Now, 20 years later, as he's returning, God sent angels again to meet Jacob. And this was to remind Jacob of God's promises that he had given to him. Jacob remembered those promises that God had given him 20 years earlier. And you remember back in uh, Genesis 28 when uh, when Jacob was first fleeing from his brother and he uh, was heading from Canaan over to Mesopotamia. He uh, laid down one night to, to, um, to go to sleep, put a rock under his head, and as he, was, as he slept he saw a ladder and he saw angels uh, ascending and descending on the ladder. Remember how we saw in John chapter 1 that there was no ladder, um, that uh, it was Jesus Christ upon whom the angels were ascending and descending. But uh, Jacob, uh, or God, when, when Jacob had this dream as he was leaving the land of Canaan, God spoke His promises to Jacob. And here's what He said, 
God said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Jacob remembered this promise as he passed by this camp of angels, as he was heading back to the land of Canaan. And remember, he has received a report in verses 6 through 8 that Esau, his brother, who had sworn to kill him, was coming to meet him with 400 men, presumably armed to the teeth. And so, what would you do if you were Jacob? Well, Jacob prayed. Listen to his prayer, verses 9 through 12. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for a multitude. This prayer is a new thing in Jacob. This is not the Jacob we have been meeting chapter after chapter, week after week. This is not the deceitful, manipulative Jacob who is contending with his father and uncle, I mean brother and uncle. Uh, this is this is a man who is beginning to turn his eyes upon God. And, and Jacob's prayer is actually instructive for us in how and, and for our own prayers. At the beginning of his prayer, he reminded God of his promises. He said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, and here's the promise, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. And so he reminds God of his promise at the beginning of his prayer. And then at the end of his prayer, he says, um, but you have said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea which cannot be numbered for multitude. So the beginning of his prayer, he states the promise of God. At the end of his prayer, he states the promise of God. And then, sandwiched between those promises, the meat of Jacob's prayer was an acknowledgement of his own great neediness. This is a model for prayer. Remind God of His promises. Confess your own neediness. Remind God of His promises again. Do you think God's going to answer that prayer? Absolutely. Do you want to know how to pray? Jacob's example. Jacob's prayer is a great example 
begin with God's promises. Why? You acknowledge, first of all, God. Secondly, as you, as you acknowledge His promises, it builds your own faith. And then you begin to have an, an assurance of God's answer. And then you don't need to go and convince God how good you are or how sincere you are. You have stated God's promise. God is going to be faithful to His promise. So and then the meat of your prayer doesn't need to be trying to convince God that you are something that you're really not. Rather, it frees you up to confess your own neediness. God, You are faithful. You have promised to do this. I need You because I cannot do it on my own. I cannot begin to do it. In fact, I have proven to myself over and over again that I am going to stumble, fall, and fail. And therefore, God, end me with the promise. You have promised. Please do it. That's basically Jacob's prayer. God loves to hear those kinds of prayers. It's simple, and God gets all the glory. Jacob, however, does not simply let go and let God. He acknowledged his dependence upon God. But in so doing, he also acknowledged his guilt toward his brother. He says in verse 11, Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me. The mothers with the children. Charles Spurgeon, in commenting on this passage, says, Jacob's fear arose out of the recollection of his own sins. In other words, Jacob is, is saying, yeah, I probably do deserve my brother's wrath. I cheated him out of his inheritance. Because of Jacob's fear of Esau, he prayed, and then he also sent out a gift in order to seek to appease his brother's anger. And it was quite a gift. I've done the math. You add up all these animals. Jacob gave Esau over 550 animals plus uh, servants to go along with them. So listen to verses 13 through 21 as it describes this gift that... Um, that Jacob had prepared for Esau. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. 200 female uh, goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants. Every drove by itself and said to his servants, Pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, When Esau my brother meets you and asks you, To whom do those to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And to whose are these ahead of you? 
whom you shall say, They belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, Moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterwards I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he stayed. He himself stayed in the camp that night. And so while Jacob stayed behind and sent these gifts of livestock out to meet Jacob, I mean to meet Esau, Jacob stayed behind in order to help his family cross the, the fast-moving uh, Jabbok River. Uh, this river is the modern-day um, Zarka River that runs through the hill country of, of, of uh, the country of Jordan. And after he helped his family across, Jacob then stayed behind in the camp. And you get the feeling that the reason he's staying behind in the camp is he wanted to be alone. He's worried about his brother. He wanted to pray um, about uh, having to meet uh, his brother the next day. The only thing is Jacob wasn't alone. Uh, in fact, at this point, an unexpected visitor shows up. I'd like to try and explain it to you ahead of time and then read it. Um, I don't know that my powers of description can do it justice, so I'll simply read it, verses 24 through 30. I'll start with verse 22. The same night he arose and took his two wives and two female servants and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, saying, I have seen the face of God I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. To understand what's happening, it's probably best for me to answer some of the questions that are probably arising in your mind. Um, first of all, who is this man that suddenly showed up and began wrestling with Jacob? Uh, I think it's clear that this is God. Verse 25, When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. You know, just the, just touching his hip and putting it out of socket, well, this is no mere, mere man. Um, also, verse 28, then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And so he acknowledges he's, he's uh, wrestled with God. And then verse 30, 
So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Throughout the Old Testament, we have these instances where God appears in the flesh. And I think the reason God does this is to prepare Israel for the coming of Christ, God's own Son, the second person of the Trinity, uh, to come in the flesh. We don't know at what point in this wrestling match that Jacob that Jacob recognized that this was God that he was wrestling with, um, that his opponent was not a mere man, but God himself. And what's interesting here, and I think what the text wants us to understand, what God wants us to understand, is that all Jacob's life, he had been contending with mere men. That he was a master manipulator and that through pure cunning, Jacob believed that he had made himself rich. That God was just an auxiliary. That really, Jacob's greatest asset was his own mind. And so he, continued, he deceived his, his brother. He deceived his father. He tried to deceive his uncle. Um, and uh, all the while... It was God fulfilling His promises in Jacob's life. Jacob thought it was Jacob. God knew that it was God simply um, being faithful to His promises and it was God who was blessing Jacob in spite of Himself. And so with Esau and his 400 men marching out to meet Jacob, God decided it was time to teach Jacob that it was not... Jacob, that it was not Esau, that it was not any man whom he had to contend with, but rather that it was God Himself whom he needed to fear. So Jacob here, in this wrestling match, he responds in the right way. He did two key things. First of all, he didn't give up. Secondly, he did not run away. God is testing here in this wrestling match Jacob's commitment to the promise. God had promised Jacob this land, but Esau is coming to meet him with 400 men. Not only that, now it seems as if God has set himself against Jacob. Here is God himself wrestling with Jacob. I don't know about you, but it would have been real tempting to give up at this point to run back to Mesopotamia. But instead of becoming discouraged, instead of giving up, what Jacob does is the opposite. Jacob clung more tightly to God. When he realized it was God, instead of saying, well, God's contending with me, and if, if I get past God, I still have Esau, so I better run away. No. He clung to God. And God used the adversity of this trial in order to grow Jacob's faith. Does God ever deal with you like that? Absolutely. Sometimes He does. Sometimes God will cause everything to come crashing down around, around His saints whom He loves. And it seems like it's more than you can bear 
It seems like there's no way out. And the only way that you'll ever get out of it is to go through it. What does God want you to do? How should you respond when you find yourself in the middle of those kinds of trials? He wants you to do what Jacob did. He wants you to cling tightly to Him. To wrap your arms around Him. To lock your fingers and say, God, I will not let you go. I need your blessing. Are you ready to wrestle with God? Do you trust Him enough to cling to Him even if He seems to have turned against you? I'm reminded of Job. Job said when his wife was telling him, why don't you just curse God and die because everything seemed to be against Job? Job said to his wife, though He slay me, though He kill me, yet will I trust Him. Are you ready to walk through hell with God? Or will you only move after God rolls out the red carpet for you? God never promises the red carpet. He promises peace, but not the red carpet. Remember what uh, Jesus told His his disciples in the upper room? John 16, verse 33. Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in you, I'm sorry, in me, you may have peace. In the world, you have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus promises His disciples peace. But He says that peace will come through the tribulation that uh, you will suffer through. And His disciples suffered through tribulation. We suffer through tribulation. And yet God's promise stands firm. In me, you have peace. But it's not the peace of the red carpet. It's the peace of clinging for dear life to God, to Jesus Christ, to His promises. And Jesus says, all of God's promises to you are yes and amen in me. God made it clear that Jacob's apparent victory was only God's grace. He touched Jacob's hip and completely dislocated it. Uh, I don't know if we have any wrestlers here in the congregation. Uh, I was a football player, which meant that um, in the off-season I had to take uh, wrestling as a class in order to stay in shape for when football season came around, uh, which meant that um, I was a, a wrestling dummy for for uh, for the, the real wrestlers. And my coach would always yell at me, why are you going to your back too easily? Like, well, this wrestling's kind of hard, coach. <laughs> Those 90 seconds just wear you out. But can you imagine, if you don't have the leverage of your hip, you're powerless. And yet, Jacob prevailed. God touched his hip to let Jacob know that in his prevailing, it was not Jacob's strength. It was all God's grace. 
God was not going to allow Jacob to share the glory because God wanted Jacob to understand that his salvation was of was all of grace from first to last. God also changed Jacob's name. Um, and it wasn't like from Abraham, I'm sorry, from Abram to Abraham or from Sarai to, to Sarah. He changed it completely from Jacob to Esau. And also, this is kind of this is kind of funny. When you look at after God changed Abraham's name and Sarah's name, you don't have them called Abram anymore or Sarai anymore. They're always Abraham and Sarah. But as you look at um, Genesis or even moving through the rest of the Bible, sometimes Jacob is called Jacob. Sometimes Jacob is called Israel. Um, what, what would be going on here? Um, it goes back and forth. What's, what's the reason? Uh, Ian Dugan said it's because Israel often reverted back to his to his um, to his old behavior and acted like the old Jacob uh, so often. He says as long as Dugan says as long as he lived on earth, part of him would still be called Jacob. Now, I'm not the person that I was before I met Christ. My wife and my children are very happy for that. But from time to time, they meet the old West <laughs> uh, far more than they would like. Martin Luther used a phrase, a Latin phrase, to describe this. Um, the Latin is, um, and I know a couple of you are Latin-type um, guys, that simul justice et peccator, which means, at the same time justified, a sinner. Describes all of us. While we are justified, while our sins have been forgiven, while God has accepted us as righteous because of Jesus Christ, yet at the very same time, we are still a sinner. How do we see the cross here in this passage? As I was reading this passage, I kept thinking about. As Jacob's wrestling, I kept thinking about Jesus wrestling in the Garden of Gethsemane, contending um, with God, not in an adversarial way, but him begging God, please God, if it be your will, take this cup away from me. And his prayer was so arduous that he began sweating blood. And then... God contending with him while he was on the cross where Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And um, thinking about how God touched Jacob's hip and made him completely powerless and how Jesus was wounded and flogged by sinners, hung on a cross by sinners, and then was burdened down with the full weight of our transgressions. And God Almighty against Him. As it says in Isaiah 53, God struck Him 
because of our sins. Or as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might be the righteousness of God. And what this allowed me to see is that Jacob, when he was wrestling with God back in Genesis 32, was a picture of the true Jacob, the true Israel, Jesus Christ. And when we trust in Jesus Christ, what happens to us? We are placed in Him and we become children of Israel ourselves through Him. Brothers and sisters, we have a God who loves us. He doesn't turn His back on us when things are going wrong. He's right there with us. Just like as Jacob was entering into the promised land, there were the angels waiting for him. God is waiting for you through the hardship. What should we do? The only thing we really can do. Cling to Him. Trust in Him. And through that trial, He will make your faith stronger because He loves you. Let's pray together. Father, as we have um, looked at this passage of Scripture, as we have seen Jacob wrestling with you, and you wrestling with him, Father, help us to learn the secret of clinging to you. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen.